Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the Latin American History Podcast, episode 59, The Conquest of Peru, part 1. First of all, I want to say sorry for disappearing for so long. I started doing the research for this series on the conquest of Peru, and it took a bit longer than I thought. I then decided to give myself a bit of a break over Christmas, and basically I've only just managed to kick myself back into gear. Thank you for your patience. We should be getting back to a regular schedule from now on. This is the first episode in a new series on the conquest of Peru. Like the conquest of Mexico, this is one of the big events in Latin American history, at least in terms of how well known it is. It felt like a good place to pause then, at the beginning of what will be a relatively big project. As with the conquest of Mexico, it's hard to know exactly where to draw the line on finishing the story that this series covers. Elements of and characters from the story will continue to be important for quite a long time after the initial conquest, decades in some cases. So here the end point is even more hard to pinpoint than it was in Mexico. I'm trying to keep things roughly chronological, and of course, things were going on in other parts of Latin America, during and before some of these events. Some of these other things will even have an indirect effect on what was happening in Peru. All of this is a long way of saying that I plan to tell the story of the first phase of the conquest, and then return to finish off the story at a later date, once the rest of the continent has caught up. I envision that telling this first part of the story will take up most of the year, just as Cortes in Mexico took just over a year. I think, though, that this series will be slightly shorter than the Mexico one. 
So if you've listened to the preceding episodes, you should have a good idea of what was going on generally in the Spanish Empire. If you haven't, they will provide some useful background. I also recommend having a listen to the episodes on the indigenous history of the Andes from way back at the beginning of this podcast. The aim of the first three episodes in this series is to build on this background and to introduce the characters involved in our story. Today I'm going to look at things from the Spanish side. I will give the backstories of some of the European protagonists and will explain how they came to be launching an expedition into this unknown territory. Next episode, I will tell the story of their first attempts to explore and colonise the region. After that, I want to outline what was going on in the Inca world in the years leading up to the conquest. To do this, I've been lucky enough to secure the help of Nicholas Mashinsky of the History of the Inca podcast. Having sensibly chosen to limit the scope of his podcast, he has a lot more specialist knowledge of the region than I do. So in episode 3, he will take us through how the world looked to the Inca just before the Spanish arrived. As we have seen time and again on this podcast, the Spanish model of empire relied on adventurous individuals coming up with a plan themselves to explore and or colonise a new territory. They would seek permission from the crown to launch their expedition and find the money they needed from somewhere. Normally, these individuals were veterans of previous campaigns, led by someone else, and these people had spent some time milling around the colony they had helped found, before deciding that they were capable of leading one of their own. In the case of Peru, there were three men who came together to instigate the conquest. They were Francisco Pizarro, Diego de Almagro and Hernando de Luque. The crucible within which they hatched their plan was Davila's Panama colony. All three had been born in different parts of Spain, but they all found themselves in Davila's colony. It's here that they would have met. Pizarro was from a town called Trujillo, in the region which was becoming a factory of conquistadors, Extremadura. His upbringing was not comfortable by the standards of the aristocracy, although he was no peasant. His father, Gonzalo, was a colonel who had fought in Spain's Italian wars. He was a respected soldier, but his family life would have been considered dysfunctional, if not downright sinful, by Catholic Spanish society. Gonzalo had four sons, but all but one of those, Hernando, were born outside of marriage. We don't know much more about the early lives of these brothers, but they will all become important characters in the story, so I will introduce them now. Francisco, the famous Pizarro, was quite a bit older than his brothers. Hernando was born sometime between 1501 and 1508 to Gonzalo's legal wife. Gonzalo had not settled down at this point into family life, however. He had two more sons, Gonzalo Jr. in 1510 and Juan in 1511. These two had the same mother, but she was not the wife who had given birth to Hernando. Although the years of birth are not certain for all the brothers, we know that Francisco would have been at least 20 years older than Hernando, 
and between 30 and 40 years older than the other two. Francisco's mother had no illustrious family name or wealth to support him with, and importantly, as his parents weren't married, Francisco had no legal chance of inheriting anything from his father. We really don't know much about his childhood. We don't know the exact year he was born. There is an unverified story that his mother tried to abandon him as a baby on the steps of a church, and it's thought that he was illiterate. Pretty standard for the general population at the time, but many people of his class would have been taught to read and write. It seems his childhood was a difficult one. Extremadura was a rough, hot and infertile frontier, only recently conquered from the Moors, and without the natural conditions needed to develop in the way that neighbouring regions did. There are some striking similarities between Pizarro's childhood and that of Hernán Cortés. Both were of course from this region, both were the children of tough soldiers, and both saw little opportunity for themselves at home. The two were in fact related. Gonzalo Pizarro was Cortés's grandmother's first cousin. There's no evidence that Francisco knew Cortés personally, or that Cortés's choice to try his luck in the New World directly influenced Francisco's decision to do the same. It seems that lots of people from his class and region were doing the same thing. He did, however, tread a similar path to Cortés, emigrating to the New World and establishing himself there. Pizarro was actually on the boat to Hispaniola that Cortés was supposed to have taken. You might remember that Cortés missed that one after injuring himself escaping out of the window of a married woman he'd been seeing. Before not missing that boat, however, Francisco gained experience in the Spanish army in Europe. He fought against the French in Italy, but unfortunately not much is known about his experiences there. Once he got to Hispaniola, Pizarro spent several years there, although again, we don't know too much about what he was doing. In 1509, he joined the Ojeda expedition to the Colombian coast. We covered that one in episode 30. The expedition, of course, ended up heading towards what is today Panama, where the town of San Sebastian was founded. Pizarro must have been making a name for himself by this point because while Ojeda went to get reinforcements, he was left in charge of the settlement. Now, I don't want to retell all the ins and outs of that story, but, to put it briefly, another Spaniard named Enciso came with reinforcements, and he quickly fell out with Pizarro. Out of obscurity, Vasco Núñez de Balboa appeared, took control of the expedition, and managed to persuade them all to found a new settlement, which after a brief period of mismanagement by Enciso, Pizarro again ended up governing. Panamanian politics will continue to be complicated and unstable, but as far as Pizarro was concerned, two things had happened. Firstly, he had made a name for himself on this expedition, and secondly, he had made an alliance with rising star Balboa. This resulted in him becoming an important member of Balboa's expedition, which led to the first European sighting of the Pacific. That's episode 31 if you want to hear that story in full. Upon their return to the settlement of the Caribbean coast, however, Pizarro switched sides when Balboa's new rival, newly appointed Governor Davila, 
made him captain and ordered him to arrest Balboa. It's now 1519, about 12 years before the conquest of Peru really gets started, and Pizarro is becoming one of the Panama colony's most prominent characters. He spends some more time playing the role of the soldier, and helps Davila expand the colony into the territory of the surrounding indigenous people. He helps defeat the indigenous resistance when the capital of the colony is moved to Panama City, and he is given an encomienda near the new settlement. It's around this time he and his two companions decided that they would attempt to found a new colony to the south. So one of these companions was Hernando de Luque. Pizarro had proven himself a capable soldier and commander, but you need more than that to launch an expensive expedition into the unknown. De Luque's job was to liaise with polite society and secure the all-important financial backing they needed. We really don't know much about De Luque. He was born and raised in Andalusia, where he was ordained as a priest. He came over to Panama with Davila, but what he did there is unclear. What was probably De Luque's most important action in the whole conquest took place before it had even begun. He had connections in the colony, and he managed to persuade one of the most powerful and rich men there, Gaspar de Espinosa, to invest in the expedition. Now throughout our encounters with him, we've seen how fickle an expansionist Davila was, and so the group would have to tread carefully around him. While their intention was to found a separate colony outside of his jurisdiction, for now they were very much within his jurisdiction. And so if he had aims to expand his colony to the south, he would do everything he could to make their lives difficult. And there was a lot he could do. Luckily, as we saw when Cortes began expanding into Central America, Davila turned his attention northwards instead. But at this point, it wasn't clear that that would happen. Another of De Luque's roles then was to be the bridge to the centre of power in Panama. Rather than leading from the front, it was envisioned that he would spend time in Panama City, keeping Davila on side. The final member of the trio was Diego de Almagro. When people think of the conquest of Peru, Pizarro is the name that always comes to mind, to the exclusion of all others. As we shall see, however, it could quite easily have been de Almagro's name that we associate with the conquest. He will contribute almost as much as Pizarro. And although Pizarro did give the orders, to begin with, you could argue that they were equal partners. Diel Magro was about the same age as Pizarro, and he came from a similar background. He was an illegitimate son without many prospects at home. Home was a village just to the east of Extremadura, in the neighbouring region. Raised mainly by his maternal uncle, who he did not have a good relationship with. His father had refused to acknowledge him as his son, and so he ran away to Sevilla as a teenager, where he worked as a servant to a nobleman there. He was there for quite a long time, and all we really know about this period of his life is that he got into an argument with another servant, which ended up in him stabbing the other man. He did have to face trial for this, but whatever the outcome and punishment, in 1514, and with a good word from the nobleman he served, who obviously didn't mind about him stabbing another of his servants. 
de Almagro was given a place on Davila's ship to Panama, the same one de Luque went out on. Once there he settled into the new colony, and was given an encomienda. He then led a small expedition up the coastline from the main settlement in Darien. This resulted in the founding of Acla, which would become the beginning of the trail to the Pacific and the place of Balboa's death. Having founded it, he was made the new settlement's mayor, but had to give up the position soon afterwards due to an illness of some kind. He became friends with Balboa, but probably did not go with him to the Pacific. When Panama City was founded and made the colony's capital, Almagro was one of the first to move over, and he was given more land nearby. By this point, he had established a relationship with Pizarro, and probably looked after Pizarro's land from time to time while he was away. Almagro took an indigenous woman for a wife around this time, and soon they had a son. He was named Diego de Almagro II, but is often referred to by his nickname, El Mozo. In English, this simply means youth or young man. So that brings us up to around the year 1524, the point where attempts to colonise the lands of the south are about to begin. The three main protagonists from the Spanish side have come together and formed a partnership. They have secured financial backing and they will start enlisting men. We will look at those first attempts next episode. But before finishing today, I want to introduce one last person, one of the men they will enlist, and someone who will come up during this series. I say introduce, it's more a case of reintroducing him. You might remember that when Davila was sending an army north to Nicaragua and Honduras to try and stake his claim there, one of the men he sent was Hernando de Soto. De Soto was the guy who got captured in his first battle in Honduras, and who, upon release, managed to offend his commander, Cordoba, and get himself arrested again by him, and then escaped to Panama. If you want that story in more detail, it's episodes 47 and 48 you need. So once Davila had agreed to withdraw from Honduras and make Nicaragua the northernmost extent of his colony, de Soto established himself as one of the most important people in this new frontier subcolony. He was given an encomienda and a job helping to govern the newly founded city of Leon. He took part in many of the pacification campaigns to bring Nicaragua under firmer Spanish control, and he made a reputation for himself while doing this as someone who was brave, decisive and ruthless. While the events we will discuss next episode were taking place, he was busy consolidating his wealth and power, and for many this would have been enough. De Soto, however, was adventurous. Despite having carved out a bit of the new world for himself, once the exciting bit was over, and he'd reached the bit where he gets the riches and power, he got bored, and started looking around for something else to do. He was limited by the fact that his direct allegiance was legally to Davila. He couldn't mount any expeditions unless authorised. Once Davila died, however, he decided that rather than wait and see if a new governor would back him to explore, he would give up his position and use his wealth to gather his own group of men 
and sail down to join this expedition to South America he'd been hearing about. You've been listening to the Latin American History Podcast, written and recorded by Max Sargent. For more information, visit the website www.maxargent.com slash the history of Latin America. And that's spelt M A X S E R J E A N T. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to get in contact at History of Latin America Podcast at gmail.com. You can also find the Facebook page by searching for the Latin American History Podcast. The Twitter handle is at History Latin AM. And if you've liked the show, you can help out by leaving a review on iTunes. Alternatively, if you visit the website, you'll see that each episode is accompanied by relevant photos. Most of these are my own, taken during my time in Latin America. All these photos and more are available to purchase as prints at my Etsy shop. You can find this at www.etsy.com slash photo. That's spelt www.etsy.com slash M-A-X-S-E-R-J-E-A-N-T photo. Thanks for listening. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.